1: Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Today, we're going to be talking about authentic power, a term power that is used... Um, both both euphemistically and disphemistically in that it teaches that uh, we believe that power has something to do with controlling other people. But Taoism teaches that it is the natural in us that is our power. And yet our society says that the natural in us is to be feared for its wild, untamed energy that will get us and others into heaps of trouble. But as we talk about the differentiated aspects of the psyche, the ego, and the soul, what we discover is that the natural self turns out to also be mystically united with the transcendent. As we walk into the deeper regions of the inner human, we discover the transpersonal, which is also quite natural. But we've divided life up into natural, miracle, and supernatural for so many centuries that it's extremely difficult for us to imagine that who we already are, Underneath all of the fakery, the scamming, the spamming that we've been taught to do to survive is both natural and divine, a seeming union of opposites. So today, we're going to take a journey into the natural world of authentic power and learn what your natural power can do in an unnatural world. Okay, so we, we, we need to start first by talking about power. Power is... Um, not what we typically think it is. Power is what we've, what we've learned power to be is people who have power have some kind of absolute control over other people. They tell them what to do and people do it. What we miss in that dynamic is the fact that the people who do it are choosing to do it. And that gives them the power. So it doesn't matter how much seeming power we have over other people. In order for people to follow us, they have to choose to follow us. And it's the same dynamic as with parenting. We tend to think that, well, we've got control over our children. And we came up back in the early 90s and late 80s with the term out of control for our children. And we said, oh, that child is out of control. And it was the parent's job to get the child back in control. And what that meant was that the child was, was not being disciplined appropriately. And if he or she was, then he, he or she would not be out of control. Um, since that time, it's slowly taken on the progression, progressive, more progressive look that says, Oh, well, the child's out of control because he or she cannot control himself or herself. So, yeah, we've transitioned a little bit there, but the idea is that if we have power, Generally speaking, we have power over other people, and if we have control, we can have something called self-control, and very often that also includes control of other people. So, we're going to talk about that for a little bit, but before we go there, what I want to do is be sure and talk about the natural self, because the natural self is the same as the authentic self, and that is the same as the divine self. You can look at this in various languages there's the language of, of just trying to discover who we are, just like you hear on the streets. People throw the word authentic self around a lot these days, and what they generally mean is I get to do what I want when I want, and that's what we think of as the natural self, but actually the natural self runs a whole lot deeper than that. And then we also have the, uh, the psychological perspective where we can, uh, because transpersonal counseling is an, uh, um, transpersonal psychology, excuse me, is a viable, um, educational format now, we can actually say that the authentic self is a psychological construct. Uh, people like, uh, Karen Hornay and, and several other people throughout history, including Carl Jung, have studied the self. And what they have concluded is there's a deeper, deepest essence of who we are that they call the self with a capital S. And then there's another part, other parts of us that aren't necessarily as real as that part. Some call it the ego. Carl Jung called the ego anything that was the con, uh, the conscious expression of our understanding of ourselves um i call that identity so there's a i make a distinction between the ego and the identity the ego is just to me a liaison between the inner world and the outer world in which uh, by which we are able to keep what needs to be inside inside and keep what needs to be outside outside If it's a healthy ego, if it's an unhealthy ego, then what happens very often is that the external can flood in over the internal, and we incorporate the external as if it is who we are. Or, in the opposite, the internal floods out over the external so that whatever we think is true we believe to be true in the external and that's uh, a psychosis can look like that where people have hallucinations and delusions about reality. Uh, paranoia can look like that where we believe that people are out to get us when they're actually not. Um, so the internal would, all of our fears and assumptions and projections and all of that would just pour out onto the external world and that would become the reality that we lived into. So the ego keeps that from, a healthy ego that is, keeps that from happening and um so we it, so in differentiating the aspects of the psyche we we also come to the word soul because actually the word psyche is the same as the word soul there's, there's just synonymous terms so when we're studying the psychology of a human being we 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 really are actually studying the soul and and for so many years now um maybe about 150 years we have studied the dysfunction of the human being as our central core elemental structure of psychology. But when we think about it in, in the way I think about it in terms of transpersonal psychology or transpersonal counseling, it is not just the dysfunction, uh, the unhealthy aspects of what we do and trying to discover why we do those things, but it is also the power, the passion, the purpose of the soul. And that is, um, that is a very interesting phenomenon. So as we begin to study that, and, uh, what we, what we understand is that that natural self, that earliest, most essential part of who we actually are as a natural person is our soul. And our soul is the same as the divine nature or the divine beingness that we are. So, um, you know, we could say that the farmer wearing his overalls is, uh, is God, is the divine. Um, <clears throat> the taxi driver in the, uh, in the streets of New York City is divine. Um, uh, the grocer shaking his fists and, and growling and cursing at little boys who've just run by and stolen some of his fruits is divine. Um, all of us have a divine nature, but not many of us know it. And uh, and knowing it is is one of those uh, challenges in life, and as a matter of fact, it is the central challenge in life to come to know who we are actually at our deepest essence. And so, when we talk about power, what we're talking about is aligning the 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 structure of our identity with that natural. Essential, core, divine beingness, which is the self, with a capital S. So, um, power, true power, is not control over other people, nor is our natural self to be feared. In uh, places in the uh, New Testament of the Christian Bible, uh, Paul and I think Peter as well talk about the natural man, the natural man being the sinful man, and is equivalent to Adam, who was um, the first man who sinned, of course, you know when we turn that around, what we say is it was a woman who actually sinned, and man just got dragged into it, poor fellow that he was, but uh, what <laughs> what uh, when we talk about that in terms of its metaphorical value, what we find out is that the feminine, which is the receptive part of our humanity, received from. Um, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and an incorporation of a dualistic trance state what i call a hypnotic trance state in which we began to believe that we were separate from the divine and began to live that out and because we live that out instead of living out our truest divine nature we we suffer we have to scratch and crawl and and, and uh, dig around in the soil for our produce and we uh, we uh, we suffer generally speaking we have to struggle to get Enough to take care of us whereas when we live from the divine essence of who we are there is no struggle all is provided for just as it was in the garden of eden when there wasn't even any rain and dew came up from the ground to supply the vegetation with its essential nutrients so um, that naturalness that that Coming up from the ground the dew that comes up from the ground and supplies everything is the natural man it is the natural essence of who we are uh, and I could spend a lot more time talking about that but I want to just declare that first and 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 uh, let that sit for just a little while because uh, when we're trying to be something other than that when we're trying to self improve when we're trying to get ourselves to be better or to not do that bad thing we did or to um, or to be kinder, or to be more compassionate, or, or to be whatever. What we're doing is uh, not trusting that natural self. Uh, we don't trust it, and we have been taught to distrust it, because it is the natural man, and it is bad, it's sinful. It's Adam who caused the original mess in the first place. Um, so uh, we don't trust the human heart, and therefore we make a bunch of rules. And we make a bunch of uh, – of, we tell ourselves what's good and what's evil, and we tell ourselves how to follow the rules, and we tell ourselves when we should do uh, what other people want us to do and when we shouldn't. We make up rules. We've made up rules out of the dualistic trance state that informs us that we're separate from the divine and because we are, we have to self-improve. We have to become better people. We have to somehow find a way to bridge that terrible awful gap between us and the divine and because we believe that we are disempowered. We do not have the power or we do not live out of the power that is our natural birthright and so that natural birthright is authentic power but but we don't know that, and we, because we're living in that hypnotic trance state, we stumble around not having any notion of how truly powerful you are, we are. One of the statements that Jesus also makes, and it's also made by, uh, Buddha and, um, and the, it's in the Bhagavad Gita as well, that our power comes from the divine self. The, one of the statements Jesus makes that is very specific to the quote-unquote miracles that he did while he was here is he said, I'm going to go to the Father now. And because I'm going to the Father, you get to basically have my gifts. And he said, um, greater things than these shall you do because I go to the Father. So what he's saying is the things that I've done, which is heal people and raise people from the dead, you're going to do even greater things than that when you realize your fullest power. Now, that's a pretty awesome thing to think about. Um, now, whether or not you actually believe that Jesus did raise people from the dead and, and heal the sick, that's that's totally up to you. But the power that we actually have as divine beings is ours to access um, through the process of becoming more and more fully conscious of who we are and more and more um, doing away or breaking the spell of the duality trance state that we've lived in. In order to do that, we have to um, to come to recognize that there is a mystical union between the natural self, who we actually are, as uh, divine beingness and uh and the tra- and, and and the transcendent there there is no dis- distinction between those so the, so okay let's take this as if we can use a language that we all understand the elohim created man okay the elohim is actually a word that can be defined as many different things it is the belly It is the, uh, it is a man. It is a large man. It is a, it is a God. It is a false God. It is, it is all kinds of things. Um, so what we can come to understand from that is that Elohim is a, uh, is a mix of humanity and divinity. And that created form. We were created as, with flesh and blood by that. And the way I look at that is that we are Elohim. Um, and we created form, we created a form for ourselves to live in so that we could play out this duality trance state and find out more about what it's like to live in form. But in order to fully play that out, we had to be entranced with this duality transstate, state so that we could understand ultimately that form is not separate from the divine. Um, but we had to experiment with that fully before we could know that. And that's the process we've been in ever since. And there's other shows that I've talked about that, particularly one uh, called Duality that was done three or four years ago, but you can find it in my archives if you want to look that up. Um, so in the deeper regions of the inner human, when we start looking for this transpersonal beingness, this this uh, essence of who we are that transcends the personality that we have put on as a way of surviving here on planet earth. That, that is the Elohim. That is the, the, the divine essence of who we are as soul in form. So, okay. How does one begin to be able to, to recognize and live within, uh, that potential? Well, we're definitely going to be talking about that today. Um, and I want to answer that question very specifically. But before we go there, we need to understand uh, a little bit more about the distinction between what's natural and what's a miracle, if there is such a distinction. And to to be able to understand the mystical union that is the natural self and uh, the quote-unquote unnatural self. Um, we There is no separation between those either. And because, but because we believe there is, we think we have to get that that uh, personality to behave better. Now, some people would say, "Well, oh my gosh, you're not going to try to get the behavior, the personality to behave better. You're not going to try to um, improve yourself. You're not. You're just going to lay there like a natural. What is that? You're just going to lay around and do nothing." Well, that statement just exposes how distrustful we are of the natural beingness that we have we don't trust that it has any activity in it at all it has no energy it won't act it does not do anything if we're not pushing it along then it's not going to do anything um that says distrust another question that i get a lot when people when i say we can just be our natural self and stop striving to improve um what what people often will say was, well, then you're just going to, you know, fall into this abyss of black-hearted sinfulness, right? So, uh, so in that process, I begin to go, okay, what if that didn't happen? What if, when I fall into my truest essence, I find out that the whole dynamic of good and evil, the whole issue of good and evil, is just a polarization of the duality trance state. What if I'm to learn that this whole thing that we've devised as a coping mechanism for the idea that we're separate from the divine has no validity whatsoever? What if that were to happen? Then what? Well, that's what scares us. We're terribly, terribly afraid that if we don't keep this, uh, a moral, rigid, sometimes moral code around us to make sure that we behave according to its rules and regulations, then we're just, we're gonna just be these horrible people. Why? Because we don't trust our essence. We don't trust ourselves. We've been taught f- since, you know, forever that we're sinful beings. And that evil occurs in the world and that because that's so that we have to just keep a watch on it, keep a lid on it, keep paying attention, watch out, look out. Don't let that self out of the box because, oh, my God, that's like opening Pandora's box and all the frogs and toads and slithery snakes and snails and s- slippy, slimy, icky, ducky things are going to come crawling out of there. And, oh, my gosh, the world will just fall apart in an apocalyptic explosion of sinfulness. Yeah. That's what we believe. That's not true. And we're going to talk about how it's not true right after the break. Stay tuned for more.
0: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. If you are looking to shift from struggle to a life of alignment with your deepest truth, you'll want to tune in to Thresholds to Awakening with host Sway Emily Spilkin. Our program will help you discover that your deepest challenges are not mistakes, but opportunities to become who you really are. Thresholds to Awakening. Enter your darkness to find your light, where Sway speaks with spiritual luminaries, cutting-edge thought leaders, and experts in the field of transformation. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: Many of us make choices in our lives based on how others react. But what should really matter is making our life choices based on what we intuitively feel. By tuning in to The Mystic and the Mystery with Inspired Intuition hosts Beth Parojik and Christine McIver, you'll receive the tools and inspiration you need to do just that. Your fears do not have to drive you, and you are naturally intuitive, creative, and whole. By believing in yourself, you can live the life you've been longing for. Listen for The Mystic and the Mystery every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel.
0: The Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change.
2: Okay, so we're talking about authentic power today, and we're going to do that, and we're going to answer some more questions about that in just a moment. But first, I want to introduce you to our sponsor, the American Institute of Holistic Theology. Now, you may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in Holistic Theology. And right now, they're offering an opportunity to win a free course for those who email before March 31st, but I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following. Holistic Theology, offering as terminal degrees both a Th.D. and a Ph.D. Holistic Ministries, Holistic Health and Spiritual Care, Metaphysical Spirituality, and Alternate Spiritual Traditions, which includes in-depth studies of the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. This is not just another spiritual diploma mill. AIHT is a real educational program where you will get a real learning experience that you can be proud of in a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world. For those interested in enrolling, there's a small down payment of $250, and then you pay only $150 a month, interest-free, toward manifesting your dream. The big deal is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. All you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. And now, to the details of how you can win a free course. Email Beverly Love at aiht.edu, that's B-E-V-E-R-L-Y-L-O-V-E, just like it sounds, at aiht.edu and put win a free course in your subject line. Tell her you'd like to win a free course and why, and then wait until the drawing on April the 1st to find out if you won. Or if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325 to learn how you can make your dreams for a degree that will make your career dreams come true. Okay, so we're talking today about authentic power. And what we've said already is that authentic power is not control over other people, nor is authentic power the ability to make ourselves um, be better people. And we want, we want to just talk about that piece, uh, about that self-improvement piece, as a part of how we think we will gain power um, right now. That self-improvement piece tells us a lie, it tells us that who we are is not yet enough or not yet good enough. It And it's based on a distortion of who we actually are. It's based on an identity, a, a way of living on planet Earth that has everything to do with surviving emotionally, physically, psychologically, and every other way. Survival is our primary motivation. So when somebody... We're in a group of people and somebody makes a comment that we find to be offensive or distasteful. We won't say to them, wow, that's a really hurtful comment because we're afraid they won't like us if we do. Or if they say to uh, or if they do something that, um, we find to be very intimate or open, we sometimes shy away from that because we've got a distorted version of who we are. When people tell the truth, when people really do walk into the room with authentic power that says the truth with its body language, with its eye contact, with its um, posture, with its words, with its deeds. When, when somebody is that congruent, we're either frightened of them or we want to hand them control of other people. Oh, well, that's a powerful, charismatic person. We need to give them control over X, Y, and Z. Instead of just saying, wow, that's what truth looks like. That's what I look like deep down inside, only I just don't know it. So when we talk about authentic power, that's what we're talking about. And we're going to talk some more about that as we go. What we're not talking about is self-improvement. So if I believe that I have to improve myself, what I believe is that I've got to change behaviors and thoughts and emotions and things like that. And I hear that a million times uh on on especially in new thought and new age um and human potential movement um um speeches and conferences and retreats here's how you can improve yourself do these four things and x y and z and you'll 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 feel better your meditation can can get you to a uh, to 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 improve your own behavior your you know those kinds of things so what i'm saying is i don't agree with that And I want to say it really clearly and loudly, that the more energy we put into improving ourselves, that's the less energy we're putting into finding ourselves as we actually are. Because what we're trying to improve is something that doesn't even exist. That's right. We're trying to improve something that is not the real us. In other words, we're working on the plastic outer design instead of going to find the real deal that's down underneath it. So we can chip away at that plastic design all we want, but it's not going to help us get in touch with who we actually are. Or maybe it will along the way. Maybe somewhere along the way we'll stumble into the authentic self as we're trying to chip away at that old identity. But that that process is not ultimately one of we don't become authentically powerful by chipping away at that plastic exterior. We get authentically powerful by recognizing who we actually are. Uh, Another thing that's often mistaken for authentic power is something called self-esteem. Now, very often I hear teachers and uh, uh, parents in PTO or PTA meetings talking about um, how we can improve our children's self-esteem. Well, we can't do that. Parents can't do that. Um, um, Teachers can't do that. We certainly can be kind and respectful, but we can't do the inner work that is required of someone who needs to esteem or respect the self. And what I often say is that before we can have self-esteem, we have to have a self to esteem. And in order to have a self to esteem, hopefully it will be the the genuine, the authentic, the real deal, the Elohim, the natural man, the person that we are, the divine self, the divine beingness. Call it by those many names or something else of your own making but it is the essence of who we are that is already divine and when we, when when people say that that mean they say well does that mean that we're really good way down inside no, i don't use the terms good and bad why because those are dualistic terms they keep us split off they keep us uh, okay here's good over here and here's bad over here and if i do this i'm good and if i do that bad that It it means I'm identifying with some external construct that we invented because we thought we were separate from the divine. In actuality, there is no goodness, nor is there evil. Those are constructs we came up with to define things we cannot understand. We don't understand when somebody seems to be evil. We don't understand why there are people like serial killers. We don't understand why there's a Hitler and why there's leaders today that are dictatorial leaders today that are committing genocide. We don't understand that. And so what we do is we call it evil. And we say, oh, okay, well, that's evil now. I don't have to think about that anymore. (laughs) And that's a neat little trick we play. And it means, well, that's it. I don't have to do anymore. But actually, it isn't evil and nor are the saints good. Uh, it is evil. What we call evil is a distortion of identity. It is a very distorted identity. But here's the thing. So is goodness. You know, when we talk about good and evil, what we're talking about is distortions because they're based in duality. If I am one with the divine, it's not about good or evil. It's about divine It's about the divine essence. And when we go there, when we're able to actually touch the hem of that garment through meditation, we're actually able to really feel uh, in our bodies and minds and spirits what it is to be the divine being we are. And many have felt that. Many around the world have felt that. Of all religions have felt that. What we discover is that it doesn't instruct us in good and evil. It doesn't tell us what we should and shouldn't do. It is simply about beingness. It's a silence. It's a stillness. Um, It is that stillness that we recognize in the Western world when we hear the words cease striving to know that I am God or be still to know that I am God. Translated as be still and you'll find out who you are. (laughs) You'll find out that you are God. Um, So when that distortion the distortion of identity can happen in all kinds of ways. We get frozen into a certain way of interacting with the world based on our needs to survive. And so let me give you an example of how that might work in terms of evil. And this is just one example of many, so I don't want you to say this is the only way it happens. Um, we can grow up, for example, in a home where there's a rigid righteousness And every little thing that doesn't appear to be rigidly righteous is considered to be bad or even evil. And uh, uh, the child is thought of as evil any time he talks back to his parents or any time he tries to poke something in the outlet or any time he sneers at somebody or any time he – any of that. It's evil. It's bad. And so what the child does is he finds a way to interact with the parents. Oh, they notice me when I'm evil, and the rest of the time, if I'm being quote-unquote good, then they figure there's not much needs to be done about that. What they really need to do is get the evil out of me. So they, the child says, oh, okay, I'll hang my name tag on that. I am evil. And what happens over time is they, be, they do more and more and more and more to convince themselves and the world that they are, in fact, evil. Why would they do that? Because it's better than annihilation. Because on the flip side – there's this feeling that they don't exist at all. Either I exist as as a bad kid or I don't exist. So they look to their parents to say, where's my existence? And the parents say, your existence is in you being bad. And the kid says, okay, that's what I am. So over time, what has to happen is he has to prove that he's bad more and more and more in order to convince himself that he really is here. So when we see people compulsively acting out really serious and serial um, murderous things, what we're actually seeing is somebody who is terrified that if they don't do this thing underneath the compulsion is the terror. That if they don't go ahead and do something really, really, really heinously bad, then they don't exist at all. That's why the serial killer looks for um, news cast to pay attention to, because he's really saying, if, if I'm not really paid attention to, then I don't exist. And that thing just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, just like any other addiction, just keeps getting bigger. So that's one example. Same thing can happen on the flip side, on the polarized good side, where a child can identify with, I've got to be good in order to... Show my parents that I'm worthy, and I'm gonna, uh, I'm, I'm gonna be very, very good. I'm gonna take care of them, and I'm gonna serve them, and I'm gonna please them, and I'm gonna make them happy, and they'll be delighted in me, and I'll prove to them how good I am, and they'll always love me, and they'll never leave me. And so the child. Grows up and has to expand that, expand that, expand that. And this is the person who, who will serve other people to their own exhaustion, who will give up and sacrifice and do all kinds of things like that to prove that they're good people. But very often when I see these people in therapy, they are filled with resentments because they are trying very hard to do something to make themselves uh, feel good about being good and nobody notices people use them they end up doing a lot of stuff they don't really want to do but feel that they should do they feel guilty all the time they're pretty much miserable people actually i would say maybe even the serial killer is happier than them although i don't think that's happiness either but uh they so they're living out this polarized identity but it's a distortion because who they really are deep down inside is all that they need it 's all that they need it isn 't good it isn 't bad it 's just everything we need it 's the it 's the every the nothing that is everything you know Lao said because of the part where nothing is, we have the use of a wheel and Lao Tse was one of the founders of Taoism, and he was talking about that natural nothingness that's at the center of a wheel now he was talking about the, the old-fashioned wheels where there's a place where you put the axle and that's where the nothing is there and then there's a circle around that and all the spokes go into that circle and those that the power of the wheel is in that central place and that is where our power comes from authentic power comes from that central place where there's nothing that is everything Now, that's a a paradox that nothing can be everything. It's also a paradox that we can be still and have more power than we are when we have when we're trying, trying, trying to do, do, do. Be right right, and be righteous and be good and be self-improving all the time. There's nothing to improve. There's nothing to improve. Who you are at your central essence is everything you need and everything the world needs of you. That's it. We don't trust our hearts to be compassionate. We don't trust our passions to guide us. We don't trust the inner person. And so we've externalized our lives to the degree that we're following other things outside of ourselves instead of paying attention to the one and only thing that actually does belong to us, which is us. So in that process, what happens is we get more and more distorted we get more and more feedback from the world that sort of honors our distortion in some kind of way and we live it out more and more and more so when i was a uh, uh in the fourth grade my my auditorium teacher told me told me and everyone else in the class that we each one of us had to do, have provide some kind of talent mine was singing and i got up there and sang somewhere over the rainbow although i had hoped that she would never find me i got up and sang somewhere over the rainbow cuz it's a song i knew and she came up to me and said, you have such a lovely little voice. That's so beautiful. It was the first time anybody had ever said anything to me about maybe you can sing after all. And after that, I took up the guitar and I, and I started singing more and I sang in talent shows. Later I sang in coffee shops and a nightclub and, you know, things like that. And, and, uh, and I, what happened was I learned that I could get people to applaud for me. By using a natural talent. Now, I did have the natural talent. That was my gift. But I distorted it into, okay, now I can get people to applaud for me this way. So that way, and people could say, well, look, she's got self-confidence. She's up there performing. But actually, I didn't have self-confidence at all. I was filled with fear. But I but I was performing. I knew how to do that. So you see, we can we can lose touch with self-esteem in the process of trying to gain self-esteem. Well, because we're not esteeming the self, we're esteeming an identity. So we have to have a self to esteem in order to, to esteem the self. So we're going to be talking about how we can actually get authentic power right after the break. Stay tuned for that.
0: This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind, embrace positively, release the tension, step out of fear host, Simran Singh, will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? How do I get there? If you're searching for the answers to these and other spiritual questions, you can look within. And you can tune into The Open Door. Our program will expand your awareness of the teachings of the Ascended Masters, offer you practical tools that promote self-mastery and personal freedom, and provide an unerring pathway for graduating from Earth schoolroom. The Open Door, with hosts Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy, is broadcast live every Tuesday. At 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel.
2: Okay, so this is our final segment, so I want to get to the answer to the question, how do we develop authentic power? What we've said What is, what isn't authentic power, which is control, um, controlling other people or controlling the self or trying to improve the self or trying to develop self-esteem out of an identity that isn't even the self. Um So uh, self-confidence is the same. We develop self-confidence in doing something so we think we have self-confidence, but actually we just have confidence that we can do that thing. Um, That's not the same as actually being able to get in touch with the self that needs no improvement. So um, how does that happen? Well, first we have to understand that there is no distinction between natural and miracle and supernatural. Supernatural is not supernatural. It's uber-natural. It is actually the the most natural of all naturals. It is who we are at our deepest essence. And so when there's what's called a supernatural event, what's actually happening is the truest nature of who we are is coming out. When we have a miracle where an illness is healed, that's generally what we think about in terms of a miracle. What that is actually is the natural self has come forth. What has been discovered by people like Deepak Chopra and others who've done research on this is that the, uh, when, when a mir- so-called miracle occurs uh, in the body, it has to do with uh, there's been a major quantum leap in the thinking of the people prior to that quote-unquote miracle. So what's happened is they've gotten in touch with some deeper aspect of themselves, some truer aspect of themselves, and that healed the body. It's the the awareness of who we are that heals all things. And it doesn't just heal it. It just puts it back in its natural state. It just removes the distortion. And the distortion occurs first in our view of who we are. So it's not, and I, and I, I want to steer clear of saying the distortion is in the mind or the distortion is in the thoughts because it is not just there. It is way deeper than that. It is in our identity. It is in who we think we are. So that's the reason I formulated this show called Authentic Living because the authentic self is a deeper, truer, more essential, uh, more, most potent, most powerful essence of who we are in our deepest core beingness. Um, and in that we have all power. So when we, when it comes to <clears throat> creating a miracle, what we have what we're doing is getting in touch with the natural the very very natural the extremely natural essence of who we are that's the only miracle there is when people really run really fast or or uh, pick up cars off of children or do things that seem to be outrageously miraculous to save somebody's life or to accomplish a great feat of uh uh olympic proportions we tend to think that's pretty miraculous it's not very normal it's not very ordinary but actually it's the most ordinary of all ordinaries it's the most natural of all naturals it is who we are people talk about being in the zone when they run in an olympic race or uh, perform in any olympic activity whatsoever uh, competition of any kind that's uh, that you know they've trained for for years but part of the Part of the thing that happens is the training has helped them get in touch with what's called the zone, that zone that sort of connects all the little pieces and they just click into place. You know, my mind, my heart, my soul, my body, they're all working in the same direction. And that is my core essence has sort of taken over and I can do this out of that. That's the greater things than these that Jesus spoke of when he said, greater things than these shall you do because I'm going to the Father. Um, He was saying that we have all power. We have all the power. Let me say that one more time. We have all the power. Why do I know this? Because I've experienced it. And every knowing that I have is experiential. You'll have to experience it on your own if you, if you are to have it yourself. And you might experience something different and argue with me, and that's fine too. But what I'm, what I'm putting forth today is that our essential beingness is our power. It is all we need and it is all there is to do about living It is all there is to do about living. There's no need for self-improvement. There's no need for, um, setting ourselves free from bad habits or all we have to do is drop down into the essential beingness that we are. And all the rest just goes away because we've, it, it is a distortion. It isn't real. So, how do we do that? Okay. Meditation, uh, I've said this before and I'll say it again, meditation is one of the best methods out there for accessing the truest essential nature, but it isn't the kind of meditation that is guided by someone else's words, although many people have found that Uh, uh, an element of the authentic self through that, uh, through that power. Um, But what's happened when somebody else is speaking is it touched something inside that made them go into the deeper essential um, core of who they were. It it is is not any planned uh, type of meditation where you sit a certain way or talk a certain way or, or, you know, hold your hands a certain way. There is no... Type of meditation that's going to get you there faster than another type. Okay, so I want to be real clear about that. Life experience can get us there as well, but we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Meditation that is to put us in touch with the divine essence of who we are. I had a friend ask me one time, well, how do you meditate? How do you. You know, I talked about the peace that I found through meditation and she said, well, how, how do you do that? And I said, I just look for God inside me and then I sit there with it. And that's the truth. That's, that's all it is. It's, I'm just going to the place inside of me that is rich with that peaceful, essential e- essence of who I am. And I sit there. And when I'm sitting there, what happens is, Information, and I hesitate to even call it information because that's too intellectual of a term, but information is downloaded. And I see things differently when I come away from that meditational experience. Um, And as we meditate on a daily basis, we begin to be able to access that meditational state other times during the day as well. And and as we do that, we get more and more and more in touch with that I am that we are when we're being still. When we stop trying to improve, when we stop trying to strive after, when we stop trying to control, when we stop trying to get there and make ourselves better people and change our habits, when we stop doing all that, when we cease striving, that's when we tap into authentic power. There's another passage in uh, the Bible, in Isaiah, that says, uh, He who waits on the Lord will rise up with the wings of eagles. He will walk and not faint. He will run and not be weary. That that uh, verse, like many others in many of the sacred texts of the world, says that it isn't ours to identify with power and say, okay, now I can run fast and not faint. I can walk and, and I can run and not be weary and I can walk and not faint and I can fly like a needle. It's not the the identity's power to do that. It is the power of waiting on the divine. In other words, we're sitting in stillness and the divine that is us sort of rises to the surface. The divine that we are just sort of rises to the surface. And what's been on the surface prior to that is all the ways that we identify with the external world. All the ways that we identify ourselves with ways of behaving, thinking, acting, and doing and feeling that, that are meant to help us survive our interactions with other people. Survive the fear of abandonment. Survive the fear of, 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 Not really being here, you know, being alive, really being a person. One of the first tasks that we do when we come here is try to find out who we are now. Who am I now in this world, in this place? Okay, well, that means we're going to look around and look for mirrors. And we find them. And we identify with them. And then we live that out. And that's the distortion. So, um, when we're, when we're meditating, what happens so very often is that essential core comes up into the skin, the bones, and the face, the feet, and we begin to walk and look and see and feel and sensate from a different whole place. That is a a way to get there. So when, when you sit down to meditate or you lay down to meditate or however you meditate most effectively, one way to do that is just to kind of go inside and look for a peaceful place. Look for a peaceful place in there. And when you find it, what you have found is some essential core ingredient of your essence. Another way to do that is to, to, to use life experience as an opportunity to go there. So everything that happens in your life is just another opportunity to go within and receive what's been given to you. Everything that happens external is a gift for the internal Right? So the in, the external says, uh, yeah, here's an automobile accident. And we go, oh, uh, really? That's a gift? Right, sure. Uh huh. From the distorted perspective, that's all about pain and the hassle and the, and the recovery and all of that that it takes to get through something like that. But from the perspective of the authentic self, it's an event that might help us get more in touch with the deepest essence of who we are. So, that doesn't mean we don't feel it. That doesn't mean we don't have pain. But it can mean that even with the pain, we aren't suffering. We're receiving that pain as it's as a as a core ingredient of life here on planet Earth, and it becomes it it doesn't take on that distortion. It doesn't um, make us suffer because we have pain. So um, we can have emotions that some people call negative emotions, and say, "Oh, we shouldn't have those emotions." Um, but those emotions are just ways of introducing us to deeper levels of ourselves. In other words, they're messages from us to us for us about how we can um, get closer to who we actually are. So power is in congruence. Power is in my, my behavior, my words, my actions, my thoughts, my feelings are all working in the same direction. I'm doing what is my core essential being's bidding. I'm blessing myself in the world and blessing means strengthening me to, to allow me into a deeper grace with the divine. Um, and I'm blessing myself in my world by receiving what is and taking it in and allowing my essential core being to, to just sort of be with it. And alchemically shift and 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 um, own things that are in, that are that are coming up in me as a result of some external event. That's a way of also getting in touch with authentic power. We won't get in touch with authentic power by trying to be somebody other than who we are. We won't get in touch with authentic power by disciplining ourselves and shoving ourselves and sort of pushing that river that we are. It, it, we won't get in, in, in touch with authentic power by trying to control other people. We won't get in touch with authentic power by striving to be better people. We won't get in touch with authentic power by uh, by um, try, making a uh, sort of temple of all the good things that we've done. We won't get in touch with authentic power anyway, but by being still and receiving the essence of who we are. That does not mean we sit around and do nothing. It means that the very active essence of who we are will take over and we will begin to operate from that, not from the distortion of identity. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about authentic power. We're talking about being able to get to that essence. And we've said that just a couple of the ways: life experience, meditation. Those are two very powerful ways of getting deeper in touch with who we are. There's also methods you can use to to write about it, to write poetry f- to it and from it, write letters, do artwork. All of that can be found in the book "Restoring My Soul: A Workbook for Finding and Living the Authentic Self," which you can get uh, online at Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, several of those uh, places to actually work in the workbook in ways that will sort of push you a little bit toward uh, that kind of awareness that it takes to be living in the authentic essence. So that's what we've got today for Authentic Power. And next week, we're going to be talking to Joyce Rupp, one of my favorite uh, people to interview here. This will be a third time coming back. And she's written another book called My Soul Feels Lean. It's all about loss and restoring from loss. And uh, so you don't want to miss that particularly if you know someone or are someone who is experiencing a loss right now. So be here for that. That's next Wednesday. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
1: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.